Welcome back to Addicted to Recovery. I'm joined as ever by Max Thomas, my dear friend and co-host. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, man. You? Good. Good to be back. We've got a big one today. Uh-huh. Really big one. We're starting to talk about the steps. Yeah. And uh, today we are going to talk about step one. Max, tell the people, what is step one? Step one. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's true to me. Mm. Is that true for you? Yes, 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 yes. So I personally think that there's two reasons to formally work step one. We're either new to recovery and we've just fought and lost like a horrific battle with drugs. Mm. Or we've been around a while, we've been abstinence from drugs, but we've discovered that our disease has become active in some area of our lives. Yep. Forcing us to face the powerlessness and the unmanageability of our lives once again. Mm. So today we're going to focus on what it was like for us when we first come in mm. and we first worked step one. So basically we just got our ass kicked mm. by drugs. Mm. Yeah. For me and you, it was drugs. For anyone else, it could be a, a, any number of things. You know what I mean? Substances, yep. gambling, drinking, sex. It could be any number of things. But for me and you, it was drugs and it was the same drugs. The people, the people know what, what our problem was with. You know what I mean? For me, it was mainly cocaine. And for you, it was... Yeah, cocaine and booze, yeah. It's um, two dangerous ones, right? Mm. Really dangerous. So look, we're not here trying to take the place of someone's sponsor. No. We're just going to talk about our experiences yep. with going through these steps and the changes that it's, it's made in our lives, basically. Mm. So um, we've picked some st some questions from the Step Working Guide yep. that is um, available in our fellowship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to answer some questions for you. So... The first section is talking about the disease of addiction, right? So I know now coming in, or I know now compared to when I first came in, that this stuff is not, I never really had a problem with a specific substance. My problem was with the disease of addiction, right? Yep. So outside looking in, it's like, oh, he's got a drug problem. I never had a drug problem. No. I had a problem living life. Yep. And the drugs were the solution to the problem. Mm. Right. And it's really difficult to explain that to someone. And it's really difficult to get your head around when you first come in. Because it's just like, oh, if I stop taking the drugs, exactly. Then I'll be okay. Yeah. And it's just not true. Like I'll stop taking drugs, I'll get worse. Because I haven't got a program to work. So Which well, says Chrissy, doesn't it? In um, step one, it says our inability to control the usage of drugs is a symptom of the disease of addiction. And there you go. That sums it up for me, mate. There you go. It was the solution. Mm -hmm. It was the the medicine that allowed me to keep going yeah. in life. Yeah. And um, yeah, look, it done for me something, and then it took it all away. As soon as it started doing to me what it initially was doing for me, then I had a problem. So the first question is. What does the disease of what does the disease of addiction mean to me? Mm. So what um what answer would you give for that, mate? So for me, long before I picked up drinking drugs, life scared me to death. Mm. I, they call it disease, disease of addiction. Yeah. So I was uncomfortable on my own skin, big ego, low self esteem, didn't know who I was, what I liked. I was just mixed up. And this is without picking up a drink or drug. This was, mm. I would be hyper oversensitive to my feelings. I'd be, a big situation could happen in my life and I would completely underwhelm it. A small situation would happen in my life and it would completely overwhelm me. Yeah, I'd be riddled with, I can be riddled with, and I was when I was a lot younger, Riddle with anxiety, going to a room and just feel uncomfortable. Like people are talking about me, people are thinking about me. Well, you're thinking people are talking about you. Constantly, yeah. Yeah. And that was same. It, it was just I used, I remember this was when I was drinking, I remember walking into pubs and having to down pints or drink pints really quickly, a lot quicker than my mates, just to feel ease. Yeah. Just to feel that. So get you have to do something just to get to zero. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I completely relate to that. Yeah. I've noticed now, so now that I've been clean a while, that feeling that I used to get when I first walked in somewhere, mm. I thought, oh, put some alcohol on it, put some drugs on top of it, settle my nerve, then I'll be okay. Yeah. I've now realized that you just need to wait. 
I still yeah. get that feeling now when I walk in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All you got to do is wait. Yeah. What you need is time, not five pints and yeah. a couple of lines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's exactly what I used to do. Get in somewhere, stick loads of whatever in me, yeah. so that I could come out. Just and to play. feel all right, because I would just be, it would just be all over me that I just. I'm not meant to be in this situation or other people are different to me and I couldn't talk in social situations. People that know me, my mates would be thinking, wow, I did not know you felt like that because yeah. I was always, Chris, life and soul. I'd put on that mask, but really, once you take all those layers off, once you peel away that onion, what's left is a scared little kid who doesn't really know how to function in a normal society. Yeah. And that's and when I found drinking drugs, um, it just it enabled me to be that person and it just put that safety blanket around me. But the difference with me is you put one drink and drug inside me and it, it takes over my body and I'd never want to stop. I never want the party to stop. So yeah. you've got two things. You've got a person who struggles with life and, and that their coping mechanism, which they stumble across is drink and drugs. But when they put a drink and drug inside them, uh, they, the allergic reaction kicks off and they can't stop using that until they fall over, run out of money the missus is so on top that you've got to crawl back home. That is the disease of addiction right there for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And look, I completely agree. So what makes me an addict is the disease of addiction, not the drugs, not my behavior, my disease. So there's something in me that makes me unable to control my use of drugs. It's the same thing that makes me prone to obsession, compulsion, yeah. and act out in all these different ways. Yeah, It's the disease of addiction, not a specific substance. So... Once I got my head around that, I um, you can sort of move forward. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, look, I loved going through this step working guide. It was so thorough. Mm. I know there's other ways of going through the steps, but it was just like black and white, answer each question. Mm. By the end of it, you've worked the steps. It was really simple for me. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not like, oh, have I done it yet? Have I not done it yet? It's just in black and white, you get it done. I think the penny dropped for me, mate, when I stopped using drink and drugs. And I was, I thought all my problems would go away. I'd, mm. magi I'd magically become this person that was okay and could mm. deal with life and could pay his uh, council tax and could open letters and all all those small little things that I, I, was, I was terrible at when I was using. But then I put down the drink and drugs and I was still that scared little boy. Yeah. So that for me, just, it got worse. It proved to me that I suffered with a disease and the drinking and using was just something that I used as a coping mechanism for mm. that. And it yeah. was... When I first came into recovery, that wasn't what my head was saying. My head was saying, I put down the drink and drugs and my problems would go away. Yeah. And I, I suppose I put down the drink and drugs and that's when my journey began into actually understanding what this illness is all mm. about. And I think that's what's so confused in society that people think you put down the drink and drugs and he's back to normal. We've got that's Chris it. back. We've got Max back. He's back in the game. He's back being a dad. But really without a program in me I, they, they use the terminology dry drunk don't they so yeah. someone without a program that's, that's start clean, raving sober start raving sober and yeah. it's um, yeah and this is what the disease of addiction means to me I suppose it's um, it's been such a great learning journey really mate and mm. this is what the step working guide and, and coming into recovery and the steps do for us they make us understand who we are as people I yeah. think that's that's one of the gifts yeah what makes us tick and look like you said if you take the drugs away from me all you've done is take away the solution yeah and I'm now worse than when I was living in that world and I had something that, like you said, was like a little safety blanket that was allowed me to get through life. Yeah. You take that away. I remember there's a situation, my brother, my older brother, bless him, was just like, just fucking stop doing gear. Like, mm. just stop it. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, I can't stop. Mm. Then when I do, if I do manage to stop, I can't cope yeah. without it. Yeah. And that's the per that's the the main thing, I think, that the normal person can't get their head around. Mm. My wife used to say it to me all the time, why are you doing it? Yeah. Why are you doing this to us again and again and again? And my response was, I don't know. I don't know. Because I didn't set out to do those things and act that way and behave in, in those ways. And But it's just life got so, I suppose, intimidating that the only option for me, because I didn't have a program, was to drink and use. Yeah. But trying to explain that to your spouse who isn't an addict, do you know what I mean? And with two beautiful kids upstairs and just and you're not around and you and you keep doing this stuff, um, it's 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 quite hard for her to understand. She she gets it now. She totally mm -hmm. understands it now. She knows that if I don't go to meetings, don't speak to my sponsor, don't speak to my network, don't speak to my sponsees, 
I slowly start becoming that person again. Yeah. I, I slowly start be becoming that person. Of course you do. And life starts to intimidate me again. And what, what do I do? I react in different ways and my behavior gets off key, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, there's a question that touches on that in a bit. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. So look, the disease of addiction affects us in many ways, right? So there's a great question. How has my disease affected me physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally? Mm. Physically, it's almost, that's the obvious one, right? Yep. If you looked at me towards the end of my using, mm. I was like 50 pounds underweight. Mm. My face was drawn out. Yep. My skin was terrible. Yeah. My body was shutting down. I'd been hospitalized multiple times, mm. but I, I was dying. Yep. So physically, that manifestation was easy to see. Mm. Yeah. Mentally, I'd like lost my grasp on reality. I used to get so confused. I remember there was this time, I was thinking about this last night. I was booked to go on one of my mate's stag do's and I got so confused one night, like out my night on my own. Mm. I packed, I'm like, fuck, holidays are at four in the morning. I've got, I've got to be on the plane in the morning. And I packed my suitcase, running around getting everything ready. The trip wasn't for two weeks. <laughs> How fucking yeah. off key. Yeah. So like mentally, I was on another planet. Like, and then turns out the actual stack was two weeks down the line. I didn't even end up going because I was too fucked. I couldn't get there. You know what I mean? I was just like unavailable. Yeah. Probably a good thing that I didn't go. But saying that, I probably just used on my own anyway for the whole week. Mm. You know what I mean? Like emotionally, I was numb. I mentioned on a previous podcast about when my granddad passed away. Yeah. And it was just like, I found it so difficult to feel anything. And, um, yeah, mate, spiritually just bankrupt, like completely bankrupt. Yeah. I'd, I'd cross so many of them invisible lines, like, oh, I'm never going to do that. And then I'll do it. Mm. And then it's just like, oh, I've done that. So I'll do that again. I was like filled with shame and guilt. I just literally didn't think I deserved to be alive anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? So all four of them aspects of this disease, I was just like firing on all cylinders, mate. I was mm. in a real bad way. Yeah. How's your experience around that? Physically, I sort of, well, in my head, I thought I was holding it together, to be honest. But I, yeah, I've been in, I was in hospital a few times. And um, and when you go into hospital for like drinking excessively or using too much cocaine, the nurses in there, quite fucking rightly, are not um, best pleased. They're not best pleased to have you in yeah. there because they've yeah. got more important people to look after. So well, when you think about it, right, is that right? Yeah, I can sort of understand it. I understand what they're saying, right? Yeah. But this is sort of what we're trying to touch on, right? You're someone who's got a incurable, fatal disease. Yeah, yeah. The symptoms have kicked in. Yeah. You're now hospitalized because of it. Yeah, very true. I know and, you're you're getting, and you're getting sneered at. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you put the drugs inside you. You put the drink inside you. No yeah. one forced you to do it physically but yeah. your disease of addict your disease forced you to do that yeah this is why this stuff is so difficult yeah because exactly like we know mm. what this disease is yeah you got hospitalized because of it yeah and you basically got told to get out mm. so yeah i remember Tricky going to the doctor a few times and um when my mouth just used to swell up horrendously like i wouldn't be able to talk and my tons, it just and all, and I remember breaking down to my GP once and just said, "Look, I've got a bit, I've got a cocaine problem," and he was, he was shocked. Do you know what I, mean? mm. I think a lot of people go in and say that, and he was shocked. No, and he didn't, he didn't actually know what to, he didn't know what to do. Really, he was, he was like, "Wow, this is a little bit above my station." Sort is it of really? It was what I suppose it was one of them where I've been out for a few days. I can't remember too much to be honest, but I've been out for a few days and. Uh, yeah, I just broke down tears, and yeah. there wasn't. I, I just, I just said I need. I, but the 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 baffling thing about it was, come the next Thursday, I was out and about again. Do you this know is mean? exactly what I was going to say. So I was saying emotionally, I was numb. Yeah. Like, every now and then, it would just build up to a point, yeah. and like the top would blow off, and I would just be like, I would break down, and I'd be begging for everyone's forgiveness. Mm. I'd be saying I'm so sorry, and I'd be begging people to not take like my missus to not take my boy away from me. Mm. Please don't leave me. I'll I'll sort myself out. Two three days later, I'm back at it. Mm. It's um powerful, right? Yeah, and that's what this step's all about. That powerlessness. It was just like, yeah, but left untreated, what do you expect? You know what I mean? You 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 leave any illness untreated, 
and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Do you know what I mean, mm. if you don't, and back then I just didn't know what I suffered with. And there's no surprise I was picking up gear on a Thursday after a bender the week before. There's no yep. surprise because I was in such emotional turmoil and pain and that, that inner void was so fucking strong that I just, there's no other option. There's mm. no other option. It's like when we see people relapsing the rooms and they're not doing, putting in the work. I ain't surprised. I'm not surprised no. that I would relapse every single week, really, mm. because I didn't have anything else there. What was my other option? What was mm. my other option, really? Um, I remember one time, and um, I ain't shared this story much because it's it's a, it's a nasty one, really. It's because you talk about like the mental side of it, and um, I remember going out on a bender for two, three days. And it was the sleep deprivation that used to do me in, Chris. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That used to just, my brain used to just fall apart. It really did. And I think I got home and my wife, she had planned to go out on a birth, whatever it was. And I was due to look after my two kids. And um, I remember my little girl getting up in the middle. She was a baby at this point. And uh, I remember her getting up in the middle of the night and um, crying or whatever stuff that babies do. Um, and, um, I couldn't remember her name, man. I no way. It was that, I was that sleep deprived, only for a split second. Yeah, yeah. I came around, you know what I mean? But I just thought, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Break Christ. from reality. Like, what is going on here? Like, mm. you've, you're hurting yourself so much that you can't actually, you've not got it in you to, to, to look after your little ba baby. And it was, like I said, I, I split I second. Snapped out of it, but it was, um, it was one of those moments and I always remember it and I got a lot of guilt and I've done some work around it with my sponsor, but it's like, um, you can take you to those places. Um, Scary places. Spiritually, like you, I rocked up completely and utterly broken. Like mm. I had this plan when I was growing up to be this dad and this husband and this this son and just addiction, just compl it took everything away from me, everything that was dear to me. And I rocked up at the first meeting and I was they call it spiritually broken spiritually bankrupt and I truly believe that everyone deep down inside there is some good there's, there's a good person in everyone for me or a good, a good spirit in everyone but I talk about it in the rooms my addiction adds, adds my spirit in such shackles it was so I talk about spirit on one shoulder and the addict on the other shoulder and when I was out in addiction the addict voice was noisy it, it ruled it ruled the roost and um, I came into recovery and, and and my spirit was really quiet and it had nothing to say and it yeah. used to just get dominated by my addict. Because yeah, you was feeding the addict. Exactly. I was feeding, you, you, you call it good dog, bad dog, yeah. don't you? I like that. And um, I was feeding that bad dog constantly and coming into recovery, I started to feed the good dog and my spirit came alive and the addict addict's gets quiet. Yeah, addict gets quiet, but it's always going to be there. Of course you know? it is. It depends what. Yeah. yeah. It's always going to be a part of us. Look, that thing, yeah. It's like I've I've actually got something prepared for for that sort of that thing a little bit later on. Like just moving through this stuff, right? The next section is called denial. Mm. So that was a huge part of my of my story. Yeah. Right? So it says in in literature, denial is the part of our disease that tells us we don't have a disease. When we're in denial, we're unable to see the reality of our addiction. We minimize this effect. We blame others. We compare ourselves with other addicts whose addiction seems worse than our own. Yeah. We may even blame one particular drug. One of the easiest ways to tell that we're in denial is when we find ourselves giving plausible but untrue reasons for our behavior, right? And the question I picked is, how have I blamed other people for my using? Mm. Which I used to do all the time, right? Yeah. An example of it, so I suffered some quite traumatic stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. Right? I ain't gonna go into too many details. Oh. Maybe later on, but I'm sure you could probably guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, I sat on that for years. Yeah. Right? And when my using was getting really bad, it was like an ace up my sleeve. Mm. Yeah. And when it all come on top one more time, mm. I was like, of course I act like this. This happened to me when I was younger. Mm. Right? And everyone, like, I shocked them into having sympathy for me. Yeah. And I got another six months out of it. Yeah. And um, that's me blaming other people for my behavior yeah. and the way that I used, yeah. right? And um, that's like a, a big example. But I used to do it all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd have an argument, fuel, fuel on the fire, course, I'm going yeah. to pick up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Constantly blaming others I would create for my behavior. to have the opportunity to go and use. Yeah. 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 It was, me um, too. 
Yeah, denial is just a huge part of it. And um, I knew pretty early on that I had a problem mm. with this stuff. I knew that I, I liked it more than other people around me. You know what I mean? And like they say about hitting bottom, uh, I knew I was going to get to that point. I just knew it. As soon as I started using, I was using more than everyone else. I was using inappropriate times. I was hiding it from people. I'm talking straight away. So remember there was this time, there's this, um, have you ever been to Northfield Market? Yeah. Right. I must have been 17. I think we just started driving. I'd maybe been using cocaine for six months, like on and off. Right. And I had a, a gram on me walking around Northfield Market with my mates during the day. Wow. Seven, like a little snipping off and having a pinch mm -hmm. at 17 years old. Like, wow. no one else was doing it. No. I was hiding it from everyone. And it was just like, um, I was, it was like a suit of armor. When I had it in my pocket and it was like the fact that I could get away with doing it and people not know I was doing it. All this stuff sort of come back to me last night when I'm sitting down researching this and I'm like, fucking hell, like from the word go, it yeah. was just different to everyone else. And then I just knew that it was like a, a ticking time bomb. When is this going to blow up? Mm. And it took about 10 years from when I first started to when I was like daily using, like yeah. this is a problem. I need to do something about this. 27 was when I done my first meeting. So yeah. 10 years. Different, mate. Mm. Just use different. Yeah. What's your experience around that? Well, so when did you first recognize your addiction as a problem? I was a party boy. Mm. And I loved it. Same. But early on, yeah, like you, not, not as young as you, mate, but I suppose I reacted differently to other people, wanted to stay up longer. But I've, we spoke about it before. Um, the last couple of years, when you sort of admit that you've got a bit of an issue going on mm. and then your world gets really small and you're sneaking around. And um, for me, it was more the insanity around going out for 24 hour benders, promising never to do it again. Then come the Wednesday, Thursday, you're at it again. That was when I suppose the penny dropped that mm. this ain't normal. And I was, yeah. I remember walking down the, the high street a few times and, on like Tuesdays or Wednesdays out of my nut and then seeing people that I know come out of the gym and sort of thinking, yeah. fucking hell, yeah. do you know what I mean? And just that, when you start getting embarrassed about your behaviours, I yeah. suppose, then it sort of was, I suppose, like you pinching, walking around a market, it's not, it's not normal behaviour. And no. I suppose once I recognised that it wasn't quite normal behaviour, the, the funny thing is my disease was still still feeding me bullshit that it was okay. Yeah, no, there's always right. someone that can hang around with you on a Tuesday, Wednesday night. Because there's always someone worse. There's always someone. You're not, and it was when I came into the, when I came into the rooms, Chris, like because I wasn't putting needles in my arm mm. or I wasn't doing 60 pills a day or I wasn't a daily user. Yeah. It's like what it said in that last question. It wasn't as bad as that guy. No, no. Denial. I, I used that for, for, for a while. And, yeah. um, but then once you, I suppose once you start understanding the, the disease of addiction and, and you put the drugs to one side and then the guy putting the needle in his arm, he thinks like me. He, mm. was, he, he thinks like me when he was a kid. He thinks like me now. He's scared of life just as much as I am. Yeah. It, it takes that away from it. And that's, I've got a couple of guys that I'm talking to at the moment and um, one of them's just full on in denial. He's, he's, he's thinking, am I, am I an addict or aren't I an addict? And, yeah. For me, I can see it. The writing's on the wall. It's as clear as day to me. But once you, when you're in that situation, it's fucking hard to say. Yeah, I was surprised by that when you told me when you told me about that guy. Yeah, and he's still still wondering, am I an addict? Like, you just can't tell people, can you? No, no one could tell me. No, we can't tell anyone. You have got to figure it out for yourself. And look, luckily for me, the drugs beat me into a state of reasonableness mm. where I had to look at myself. It was like, no question. I feel for these guys that are just like, still think they've got another run in them. Yeah, but the baffling thing is, like, a couple of guys I know, they've been to rehab a couple of times. Um, what does our sponsor say to us? Like, try and go and use. Yeah, yeah. Try and go and use successfully. If you try want. and go and use successfully and then come back to me and see how it goes. And yeah. I suppose you never want someone to go back out the door, but it's a, it's a, it's a fucking good saying. Because... Yeah, well, look, in AA, there's actually a... Um, like a test in the one of the original 
printings of the book. It's like, if you want to know if you're an alcoholic, drink two drinks a day (laughs) for however, for an extended period of time. Yeah. Don't exceed it. Yeah. And then if you can stick to that, you're probably not an alcoholic. Yeah. And it's like, uh, there's an example of this guy and he's like, I went and bought the biggest glass I could find (laughs) and I would pour myself two enormous martinis. And after the second one, he'd be like, oh, that's it. And he's like, you know what? I'm a fucking grown man. Mm. I'll do what I want. And then bang, he's into the third drink, Mm. day one. It's like, this guy accepted the fact he was an alcoholic. So it's like, yeah, if you want to know if you're not an addict, try using like a non-addict would use Mm. and see if that works. Yeah, You know what I mean? I, um, I'm not here, and I'm sure you're not either, to tell anyone that they are an addict. No. That if you've been to rehab, if you've been bouncing in and out of the rooms of different of any fellowship for a while, and you're still doubting the fact that you're an addict, you don't really get to them rooms and get to rehab if well, you're not an addict. One of the keys for me, Chrissy, was the admission that I was powerless. Mm. That was just a fucking relief off my shoulders. Was, all that. That's provi- honesty. All that bravado and bullshit for years and years and years. Now I'm all right. I can, I can handle it. And always ending up in the gutter Yeah. when you are able, and that's a beautiful thing about step one. You're able to say, I have got a fucking issue. I'm yeah. when I take drink and drugs, it ends in absolute tears every single time. And it yeah. did for me. I've never, ever, ever had a couple of glasses of rose with a missus watching EastEnders ever. It <laughs> just doesn't happen. No. Do you know what I mean? My my drinking is we go down the pub until I fall over or I'm do you know what I mean? That that is it for me. And for years and years and years I was in denial, step one gave you gives you the ability to say, I'm fucked. Mm. I need some help. I'm fucked. It's 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 and that if you're still if you're still uh, questioning that, I just think for, for, for me it's it was a no brainer. Yeah. It was an absolute no brainer. Yeah, and I think we're the lucky ones because some like I said, some people are just still full, full of reservations. They yeah. don't know if they are, they don't know if they ain't, they still can't grasp the fact that this is the better option mm. and um oh, it seems like a painful place to be yeah that's why i say i'm truly grateful mm. for how everything happened and how bad it was and how quickly it got bad and i mean look 15 years is not quick but i see some guys 50 55 coming in mm. bouncing in and out yeah. and they've been doing it for however many years it's like relatively quick still got a lot of living to do Yep. And uh, thank God I come in and thank God I got honest and held my hands up and said I needed help. So the next section is all about powerlessness, right? So a little piece I pulled out of the text. We're powerless when the driving force in our life is beyond our control. Our addiction certainly qualifies as such an uncontrollable driving force. We cannot moderate or control our drug use or other compulsive behaviors even when they are causing us to lose the things that matter most to us, we cannot stop. Even when to continue will surely result in irreparable physical damage, we find ourselves doing things that we would never do if it weren't for our addiction. Mm. And I mean, whenever I read this stuff, yeah, it's just like I'm reading an autobiography yeah. of what my life used to be like. Mm. You know what I mean? That like, even when it's causing us to lose the things that matter to us the most, I still can't stop. I was thinking about a time when I had no money, right? I had my baby at this point. Mm. I had my missus. Don't get me wrong. I might have had some money somewhere, but nothing I could put my hands on, right? And um, I went looking for it in my house. Yeah. And I grabbed hold of, it was like this change pot. It was like where my boy used to put all his little money. Yeah. He's 18 months old. And we're like trying to like, this is where you put your pounds and that. And I took it out into the garden and I'm rifling through this change pot as fast as I possibly can. Mm. And my missus comes out the back door and just looks at me and I'm like, I look up at her and she's like, what are you doing? Mm. And I'm like, even at that point, right? Mm caught red-handed mm. rifling through my son's money box yeah and i tried making up something mm. and twisting it around mm. and manipulating the situation five minutes later i've got what i needed and i'm out the door going to pick up mm. and it's just like i know like it says there it makes us shudder at the thought of doing these things that's not me 
No. That's not me. And the reason I know that's not me is because now I can look at it from the other side where I'm clean and the love I've got for my boys and how much I cherish the time we spent and how much I want to nurture them and protect them. And the fact that what I've got is theirs. No questions asked. And it's like throw an addiction on top of it and an obsession to use, I will steal from my own children. Yeah, that's where it is. And it's, um, that's powerlessness to me mm. because um, it's giving me goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, mate. And it's like, I know how shameful that is and I know how morally wrong that is. Mm. And I can't conceive of doing them things in the state of mind I'm in today. No. But back then, I would not think twice. Yeah, mad. It's just like, Different person, isn't it? Different person, completely different person, and that's why I'm so grateful that. Um, it's how powerful it is, though, right? This is yeah, it's a rotter, isn't it? Yeah, it's a rotter. When I got step twelve, so step twelve is is we, we, what we say in the fellowship is when like a a senior member in recovery um, takes a newcomer to one side and and um, talks them through the process, or they might read step one out and I had a bit of a moment with with this lovely lady I'm not going to name names but she's like 25 30 years clean and um I think I know what you mean I was really on my ass and um she said come round I used to meet her at her house in Westcliff like in my suit and that and uh, on on a lunchtime and um I suppose that's where that's where it then I, I wasn't seeing I was I was booted out by this point and uh she read out step one and I mm. literally thought that she'd been speaking to my family, yeah. she'd spoken to my wife, she'd spoken to my brothers and my sisters, my mum and dad. Gone inside your head. I thought yeah. it had been written about me. I yeah. start, I remember welling up and I was just blown away by it. And um, because I could just, um, I suppose, not that it got me from day one, Chris, but I just felt that um, relatability straight away. Do you know what I mean, we, first few shares that I heard, Thank God that I, they were really relatable, and I was right in right into recovery. But that step one, the literature was so um, it was so me, yeah. That I was like, it was I suppose uh, undeniable. Yeah, it that was, you're it was, in the right place. It was a real spiritual experience yeah. for me, man. It was it was beautiful, and the, and the powerlessness. I, I can only sum it up. Like I've had a beautiful day today. I went up to London with the kids, and um, my wife was there. We had some lunch. The kids did a few activities up in London. I was present. We weren't late for the train. I weren't hungover. Yeah, all that sort of all that sounds like normal stuff. But powerlessness for me, I have missed so many of those days mm-hmm. where my wife might have been a barbecue, something something small, but. Um, in the summer, and I, I remember a, f- a few, it, and I was just KO'd on the on the sofa. Yeah, KO'd. Life just passed. I was a I was a passenger in my own life. Yeah, I, I, I saw that on on online recently. I was a passenger in my own life. Someone said to me, "How much of life do you want to miss? How much of life do you want to miss?" And I missed a fucking shitload because I Big was chunk. powerless to drink and drugs. I was if if I had a wedding the next day or someone's birthday or a special occasion. It would just, I wouldn't care. Once I was in the grip of it, I could end up just missing anything. It could have been something so important. And um, that's powerless for me. Wanting yeah. to be there, but then just the disease takes hold. And and like you, mate, I just it, yeah. just, it takes me to places and do things that I wouldn't normally do. I'd never in a million years dream of missing any of those occasions. Yeah. And now. equally as powerful. How about the times when you did go? you managed to get off the sofa yeah. and you went out to them days yeah. and you was just like, I was just an horrible person just to be zombie, around. Zombie, man. I would have been better on the sofa. Yeah. But like, all right, I'll come. Mm. And I'm just like on the train, like everyone's giving me the, um, mm. can't just can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, they're the times when sometimes I just used to, I would pick up for them things. Because yeah. I knew that if I had a little bit of something there, I'd have a drink when we got out or, and I'd try and sort of poke myself up in some way and then um, start making it all about me again. Yeah, It's just uh, make, reminiscing about this stuff and looking back just makes me think like, this is why I work my program so hard. Mm. This is why I still go to multiple meetings a week. This yeah. is why I work with sponsees. This is why we talk so often and mm. are doing this stuff. It's just like, if I don't stay in the middle of the boat, and I don't work this stuff on a daily basis, mm. I can go back there yeah. and 
that scares the life out of me. Because people say, just have one, just have one, just have Someone one. Someone said to me the other day, what do you think you'll be able to have a drink in a couple of years? But my sponsor used to say something wicked to me, Chris. He used to say, wind the tape forward. Mm. He used to say, that one ends up with you outside your brother's house with two bin liners full of clubs. Yes. That one drink. Yeah. And that is powerless right there for yeah. me. Do you know what I mean? That is, because um, that is my story. That's my story. One drink leads to me. It might not happen straight away. No. But eventually it's going to happen. It, 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 le it, it leads me to losing everything in my life. And if I'm, I, I don't have drinking thoughts or using thoughts anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of the boat. But if, if I stop doing this stuff, slowly but surely, that one drink might, might look quite attractive to me. And mm. I have to look over. I, the beauty about doing step work is and going through step one, if I were doubtful that I was, which I'm not, I was, I was able to have that one drink. All I need to do is look at my step one and see that powerless right there. Yeah. That powerlessness is, it's there written down for me that one drink leads to you outside your brother's house with two bin liners. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're not so thirsty anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, look, I agree. Like it's easy to romanticize. Oh, sunny day beer garden, mm. couple of pints. Yeah. I've never been able to use like that. No. I've never been able to do it. You mentioned earlier about like, you've never had a couple of glasses of wine on the sofa. Like I've done that. Right. But I was not satisfied with that. That was not enough for me. You know what I mean? It never was. Like, no. I think that's something that like the addicts in us or our addicts, whatever you want to call it, is really good at romanticizing mm. the things that I've never actually been able to do. No. And make it seem like a good idea. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. why a solid step one is just so key to this program, right? So we've spoken a lot about powerlessness. Yep. But this step comes in two parts, right? Yep. We're powerless over our addiction and our life has become unmanageable. Yeah. Right. So unmanageability can be split up into two two sections. Inward unmanageability and outward unmanageability. Yeah. So the outward is like the obvious stuff. You lost a job. Your family don't talk to you anymore. You might have been arrested. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff. The in our personal unmanageability is like an unhealthy belief system about the world we live in, the people in our lives. We may think we're worthless or we may think the world revolves around us, that sort of stuff, right? It's inward. So emotional volatility is often one of the most obvious ways in which we can identify personal unmanageability, it says yeah. here, right? Yeah. And that is, that's just me. It's like both are just coupled together, right? It's not just that I'm powerless. It's like, I can't show up. Mm. I say I'm going to be somewhere at five o'clock and I'm running out the door at five to five and it's everyone else's fault. Yeah. And the geezer on the roundabout didn't indicate it's his fault as well. Yeah. And then I'm making excuses up. One of the biggest freedoms I've got in my life today, I show up on time. Mm. It was impossible for me to do it. And you know what? This goes way back before I ever picked up a substance. Yeah. When I was a little kid, my mum couldn't get me out of bed for school. Right. She used to come in with a glass of water and flick it <laughs> at me to get me out of bed. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's why I know that I've had this stuff long before I picked up a substance. Right. right. So like that unmanageability of my life, the basic things, you spoke about this earlier on, the basic things that people do when they're adults I couldn't do. No, same. same. Take, people taking a dog for a walk, Renewing washing the their car classes. on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Exactly that. Paying, Insuring paying, something, paying a, paying a bill, yeah. paying a parking fine. Jesus Christ. Oh, I've got a funny story about university. Well, it's not funny, but I um, I went to do journalism at university, right? Right. I was good at English when I was younger. Okay. And, um, got into this university to do a sports journalism degree. Like, wow, this is like amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is what dreams are made of. Yeah. yeah. But I remember... My mum, she she used to do loads for me. She was my structure. She was she used to manage my life when I was a lot younger. Yeah, and um, I remember they drove me up to Staffordshire, up in Stoke, and uh, I remember them. They they got me unpacked in in my dorm and all that sort of stuff, and it was all good. And the bed was going in, and the TV, and it was yeah. all meeting people and all this sort of stuff. So what age is this? 18? 17, yeah, 18, 17, 18, yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to act normal, and, um, <laughs> trying to hold it down. And um, I then mean, I remember them driving away and thinking, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen here then? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, 
yeah, I just got stuck into, I wasn't really drinking and using at this point, really. Definitely mm. not using, maybe yeah. drinking, but not not on, not, not heavy drinking. And but I suppose my heavy drinking really progressed at uni. But um, yeah, so I, what you got to do when, like second day, and you go and sign up for your course, yeah, meet your tutor. Did I do that? No. No, I didn't, no, I didn't <laughs> do that. Because I, I was, and this is what I'm trying to say, unmanageability, I, I just found it incapable of, Doing that, yeah. actually figuring out. Didn't know to, how to be a grown up. I had to go and sign up for my course. Yeah. So, what I did, I was good at rugby when I was younger. So, I joined the rugby team and um, that's all I did. I, I didn't sign up for my course. Mm. I went, I, I, um, I played rugby and got pissed for a year. And I remember going, going on to, um, we went on to Amsterdam for a rugby tour. Nice. You say nice. One of the things you had to do, because I was a fresher, you had to bick your head, right? So right. picture it. I've bicked my head. I'm a, fre I'm a fresher. I'm, oh, oh, sorry. I need to give your mobile phone over to the rugby captain. You weren't allowed any contact with that whilst you're on rugby tour, right? So anyway, as I'm on rugby tour, my tutor has rang my old man. No. And said, is Max all right? Because he's not been at uni all year. And my old man was paying this for Has this been a year? <laughs> my old man was paying for my school fees at the time. <laughs> A year like, later, Max. He was oh like, God. what do you mean he's not been? So anyway, I got back from rugby tour, turned on my phone, and I had about 30 messages from yeah. my old man saying, we know what you've been up to. Get home now. So picture it. I got the train back from Stoke. I'm walking up my drive. You've with, got a shaved head. With a big head, <laughs> which is all like cut because I've done it with a dodgy razor. <laughs> and I ain't been at university for a year. So even bef well before I picked up a drink and yeah. drug, I was that um, unmanageable. I, I suppose... You say, how did it go on for a year? But I just, the fear of, even after week two, week three, a fear of going to my tutor and saying, look, I fucked up here. I've not signed up for my, and the fucked up thing around it is, I went back the following year and did, to to try and do my year one again, lasted two weeks and came home. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, Max. That is not a successful university career. No, it wasn't, but it's worked out all right. Yeah, uh, of course it has. And look, this is one of the things, right? People used to say, oh, you've got to go to university. And I'm like, I will fail. Yeah. If I go, I will fail. Yeah. Because structure, right? Mate, I was okay at school up yeah. to 16, where there's like structure and you have to be somewhere. Yeah. Sixth form, yeah. you start getting a little bit of freedom. Yeah. They was going to make me redo the first year again because I fucked it up. Yeah. yeah? And I'm like, I'm do AS again, then A-levels and go to, I will fail. Yeah. There is no point. I might as well go work. But five years clean, right? I know I'm an addict because I can be, without structure, we mentioned structure before mm. in a few of the other episodes, but without structure, my life falls apart. In many different yeah. facets, it falls apart. It gets very unmanageable very quickly. I'm lucky I've got a beautiful wife who does a lot of like the house admin and bills and uh, but insurance like i'm in insurance that's what my job but yeah. do i am i nice and prepared and organized when my car insurance and home insurance come up no it's always a no big not flap. your stuff yeah yeah you it's can always, sort out other it's people's always stuff. a big flap yeah and um yeah i was talking about it before eating and going to the gym and all that sort of stuff if, if i don't have structure around it i can get very unmanageable very quickly but yeah. it's just it's just what an addict is isn't it really yeah of course it is Look, um, I, you sort of just touched on that as well. So the unmanageability of my life, right? It wasn't a hundred percent of the time. I would put something together and I would make some good decisions in a row and I would get myself like right at the cusp of like a really good opportunity. Mm. And then I would go out, for example, get fucked, miss my alarm, not show up. Yep. And I'll be so riddled with fear and guilt that I didn't turn up. I would just like block, delete, block, delete. Blocked, couldn't face it. Not like, mate, I'm so sorry. And mm. I could never be honest to say I went out and got fucked up. The amount of dodgy bits of fish I ate yeah. that were just completely fake. Like, oh man, I got a really bad belly today. Like, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't yeah. handle it. I was working for a money broker firm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was like 17 years old, it was like, Mate, all I had to do was show up to this job. Sure. And I was like, guaranteed, big money, yeah? Guaranteed. Just keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, turn up. Someone got me the job. It wasn't like I had to yeah. go and um, interview or anything like that. It was like a family friend. Two weeks I lasted. Yeah. Two weeks. I just couldn't turn up. Mm -hmm. Couldn't turn up. And um, yeah, I can turn up today. Yeah. I can turn up. I've... Uh, 
I got myself in a position. Well, I say I got myself in a position. This fellowship and this program has allowed me to get myself in these positions where I just wake up without an alarm clock. I wake up five minutes before my alarm clock, which is like completely alien to me. I've just like, all my life, I've just been an absolute fuck up when it comes to being on time. And today I'm, I'm pretty accountable. So look, the next section is um, about reservations and we've touched on that, right? Yeah. So it says here, reservations are places in our program that we have reserved for a relapse. They may be built around the idea that we can retain a small measure of control. We may think that certain parts of the program don't apply to us. We may think there's something we just can't face clean. For example, a serious illness, the death of a loved one, yeah. something we just can't face clean. Yeah. Right? We may think that after we've accomplished a certain goal or made it a certain amount of money or been clean for a certain number of years, then we'll be able to control our using. Reservations are usually tucked away in the back of our minds. We're not fully conscious of them. It is essential that we expose any reservations we may have and cancel them right now. Mm. And the question is, have I accepted the full measure of my disease? Basically, have I got any reservations in my program? And um, it's massive for me. And I really emphasize this with my sponsees when I'm working it. Because if you've got reservations, like that fellow he was talking about earlier on, you cannot progress in this program. So how did you go about just sort of getting rid of them reservations or do you think it was just done for you? No, I think early on I heard some wicked shares and people sharing about how they lost their mum or lost their dad. Mm. That was a big one for me. Yeah. Um, And that's why it's suggested early on to do 90 meetings in 90 days, smash yourself to bits with these meetings because you will hear, if you've got any reservations, can I make it through that situation? Can I make it through that situation? I was lucky enough to hear most situations Yeah, people getting through. That's it. You do 90 meetings in 90 days, you're going to hear 90 shares. Of course. You're going to hear the reading cards read out 90 times. Yeah. You're going to do the serenity prayer 90 times. It's yeah. like it drums it home to India. Of course it does. Of course so, it does. Um, yeah, go on, continue, mate. And I heard people share that he's lost his old man and the fellowship wrapped around him and, um, yeah, people sharing honestly about how they're feeling and it was, me and my missus had a bit of a hard time when we came in, we went to marriage counselling mm. and um, I was just, that was maybe a bit of a reservation for me if that wouldn't have worked out, which thank God it has. Um and I'd have been single again and out in the big wide world and maybe that would have taken me back out there. But again, I, I took advice from my sponsor and um, and worked it through and and me and my wife have got a wicked relationship. And um, yeah, I, I, I suppose that the, the, the stories that I heard and the shares that I heard early on in recovery dealt with any reservations I have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. Like, I... I thought, oh, if my missus leaves me and she takes my boy away from me. Yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? Oh, what am I going to do? Like, of course I'm going to use. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? No. If I use, that just confirms the fact that she should have left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like I was, I, I mentioned it earlier on in this podcast, I was beaten into a state of reasonableness mm. by my addiction. I was done. Absolutely done. And like, ready to surrender. The next section is all about surrender. They say that this is the only fight that you surrender to win, right? So that word surrender, it's almost like, are you giving up? But it means the complete opposite in this program. So we have to surrender. We have to put our hands up. And um, I don't think you can be fully surrendered and still have reservations. No. You know what I mean? I think that's like a paradox. You can't have the two. And my, I had my hands up. I was waving that white flag mm. like for everyone to see. And um, I think that's part of the reason why I'm so open to talking about this stuff. Yeah. Because some people, and look, each to their own. I'm not telling anyone what to do with their recovery. But some people, it's an anonymous program for a reason, right? Some people don't want people to know. Some people can't for certain reasons with their jobs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. For me... Um, maybe overshare sometimes, you know what I mean? But I, I don't mind putting it out there. And what we've come through though, aren't we? Exactly. That's a big one for me. Exactly. Mm. I think as well, you mentioned rock bottom before, like if you've had, if you've, if you've come from the gutter, for me, it was quite hard to have reservations because I just, 
it, it wasn't even an, it wasn't an option do you know what I mean, for yeah. me. I, I never ever wanted to go back there. Yeah. I've been that low that I didn't have uh, really. That's the time when something big happens like that that someone like us who's got an understanding about feelings and emotions needs to step up, right? So I know that God forbid, if anything happened to my parents, yeah, the rest of my family would need to lean on me. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I know that there's nothing, no human power is gonna stop me from staying on this journey. I know it's not. Not me, not my self-will, not anything that happens, I know that because as soon as I take back the power of control or try and run my own life on my own will, I know what's going to happen. Mm. I've got so much evidence. Yeah. So much evidence. I've recently got a new phone and it just put all my old photos on it. And I was like, it goes back to like 2015. Wow. It's basically a diary yeah. of mm. my life and what I was doing. And yeah. every now and then there'll be like something will pop up and I'll be like, oh my God, what was I doing? You know what I mean? It will be like a photo of me, like checking to see if my face, like how bad my face looks. And then the night before, I'm like giving it large and, you know, just cringy stuff. Yeah. And then like, I was, I was showing my missus a couple of things yesterday because my, um, my little boy is five months old now. Wow. My oldest is um, five years. So we're like looking back yeah. to when they were the same age, like when my eldest was five months, just yeah, to, yeah. and they look so similar about them. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh my God, look, it's just the same. Um, and I was like, oh, I was clean then. I know I was clean then. And then I saw another photo and I was like, oh, fucking hell, I picked up the day before then. That's when my last run started. And I'm looking and you could just see the pain in my eyes mm. compared to a week earlier when I was full of hope. I had over 90 days clean, starting to put some things back together. And then I started trying to manage my own life, forgot how powerless I was. Mm. And I made the most insane decision I've ever made in my life which was to pick up. And I did that with 100 days clean. Mm. So I know, and I went back out there for two years. Wow. Literally two years. My clean date's the same. It was 2018, November the 5th. My clean date now is November the 6th, 2020. Mm. So it was literally, I picked up, I was only going to pick up one. One I wanted. You know, you know what my head told me? I missed the taste of it. Oh God. I missed the taste of it. <laughs> I just really want to taste. I, I f forgot what it's telling me. Taste it. Yeah, nice. Two years later, I'm in rehab, and I know that, and I know that's what's going to happen. So, look, the three spiritual principles attached to this step are the three principles that I pretty much try and live my life by. Yeah, yeah mate. honesty. Yep. Open mindedness. Yep. And willingness. Yep. Now you mentioned about when you come to your first meeting, and you said, "I'm oh, Max. I'm an addict." That's probably the first time you've been truly honest mm. for a long, long time, mm. right? And um, I think I completely agree with that. It says it in our literature. That's probably the first time you've been honest for a long time. Mm. And I remember you saying that you, um, that's all you said in meetings for a little while, right? Just sort of reaffirming that. So when you first started coming into your, into your 1990, for me anyway, and I started getting honest, it really was for the first time in my life. What's your experience around that? I came in dishonest, unwinning, and closed-minded. Yeah, that's what I came in. Yeah, that, that's that, that, and that's the truth. I obviously didn't lie about everything, but I was just—I would either bullshit or exaggerate. Do you know what I mean? That's that's still that's still, still being dishonest for me. It's, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to be a out and out lie. It can be. Yeah, a, yeah, of course, it can just be leaving something out. Yeah, you don't actually yeah. have to say anything. It's. Um, Close-minded. I was. I thought I know best. I was a know-all. Um, who are you to tell me what to do? I was very much yeah. of that opinion when I first came in, running my own business. I was. I was in charge of quite a few guys, and um, I, not that I was programmed that way, but I suppose I was. I was. I was. I was closed-minded, and um, the open-minded stuff and and that principle is that's massive for me. Yeah, being open-minded and actually. Um, listening for the first time when I came into recovery, I started to listen. Yeah, and actually, I don't know anything. I yeah, and taking suggestions that are completely contrary to everything I believed in. Yeah, like I was the most unspiritual person. Like, I'm like meditate, what? Yeah. Pray? Yeah. I ain't praying. I'm like I'm. I'm not religious. Yeah, this is not a religious thing, right? 
yeah for me to say okay show me what to do that's just an example of open-mindedness right yeah. i'm like what so if i do this work you think that's going to change my life i'm like intellectually it makes no sense but i did it anyway yeah you did it anyway that's open-mindedness to me yeah, I just went with things. I was, I, yeah. I was suggested to do it and I just did it. I, there was, I suppose it goes about that rock bottom that we've spoken about before. It all sort of leads from that, doesn't it? I was, fuck it. I got, what else have I got? I yeah, got yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. telling me to do this. He's telling me to get on my knees and pray. He's telling me to do a gratitude list. So come on, your way's not been working. So yeah. Let's try something else. Yeah. That's where I got to. And look, you probably tried it a hundred different ways. No matter what you come up with, no matter what I come up with, it always ended me up in the same place. Yeah. So I'm like, I became willing. Yeah. Just out of my own experiences. It was just like, that my way doesn't work. No. So let's try this guy's way. And the honesty, yeah, I didn't share for, for I spoke about it before, but when I started sharing and started to get honest, like, wowzers. There is mm. just, that is just, that's just an, it was just an amazing start to my journey, I suppose. And yeah. uh, like you said, it wasn't, I used to hold a lot back, even stuff like, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Well, that, I'm fine. No, I used to say that all the time. Yeah. I suppose a lot of guys say that, don't they? Yeah. And I think then nowadays you may have to ask a guy twice, how are you feeling? Yeah, okay. How are you really feeling? Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just to make sure. But it was the ability to say, yeah, I ain't actually, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not good at all. Nah. <laughs> I'm not with my wife. I can't see my kids. I'm in the gutter. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. spiritually bankrupt. I've been using for years and years and years. I ain't all right. And that was a, that was one of the first things I was honest about. And then from there, the honesty just spewed out of me. And today, yeah. I'm honest. My missus knows I'm honest. And I, I, if I'm having a good day, I share a meeting. If I'm having a bad day, I share. Because I have to, I have to empty. I talk about having that backpack for years and years and years. And it getting heavy and heavy and heavy with all that bullshit and lies and deceit and all that sort of stuff. And I have to empty that backpack every time I go to a meeting, Chris, now. We've wanted, it just comes out of me, like verbal diarrhea. It yeah, yeah, of course. Come out. And look, that's the honesty. The willingness part, if you commit to doing a 1990, mm. that's showing an unbelievable amount of willingness, mm. right? You're going to commit to going to 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. That seems like a lot. And look, it is a lot, but it's just such a good foundation for the rest of your recovery. If yeah. you can get honest enough say you're an addict, get open-minded enough to allow these principles in your life and show the willing to get to a meeting every night for three months. You've made a good start. If for me, the willingness was getting get involved. Yeah. Get involved. And I suppose I, I had that gift of get involved early on, get a bit of service, make some teas and coffees, set the meeting room up. I mean, start going through this. I was, you got to be, you got to be in it. You got to be in it. So you got to be willing to, to, to to get well that's that's my experience around yeah. it you've got to be and there's loads that are on the edges and if that, that's that if that works for them great but for me i had to get right in the middle of the boat for this stuff to work for yeah. me and i still am and stay years, there and yeah that's it five years clean um I'm still in the middle of the boat. I still do service up at area i've got two service positions couple of sponsees regular meeting attendance step work it's got to be done. You've got to, you've got to keep that willingness. Otherwise, yeah. what else have we got? Do you know what I mean? Well, if you don't keep that willingness, all that stuff we've just spoke about in this episode mm. comes back on the table. Mm. Is it going to happen straight away? Who knows? I am not willing to take the risk. And I know you're not willing to take the risk either. No. When it comes down to it, a couple of meetings a week, a few phone calls with some sponsees, bit of step work, I'll take that every day. Yeah. People say to me, oh, it must be so hard staying clean. I'm like, nah. No. What's hard is living in active addiction mm. and then ways and means to get more. Sneaking about. Sneaking about, lying. That's the tough bit. This is easy compared to that life. So look, we've come to the end. I hope that that has given our listeners a bit more of an understanding about what step one is. Like I said, we're not trying to replace your, uh, your sponsor here. Get a sponsor get a book and um, embark on your own journey. What do you think? Yeah, man. If there's anyone who wants some questions, just reach out to us on Instagram. Um, more than happy to answer any questions you've got. But like Chrissy said, jump in. Like the steps for me was when my recovery really took off. Um, understanding that stuff about yourself. Look, 
It's um, what what else is out there? The other option is you just keep using and um, keep hurting a lot of people around you. That was my experience around it. So yeah. yeah. And where can they find us on Instagram, Max? We are addicted to recovery podcast. Addicted to recovery podcast. Fantastic. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Peace.